Lord, here we are. We stand before you today, Lord, to worship you, the true and living God, to give you the worship that's due to your name, Lord Jesus, high and exalted at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, let our worship arise to you and let it be acceptable to you, Lord God. Father, fill us, fill our hearts afresh with faith. Fill our hearts anew. Renew our minds, Father. We love you and we want to encounter you more this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you one. The theme this morning, oh man, it's good. It's standing firm. Standing firm in our faith. Standing firm in our walk. Everybody's got a Bible? Awesome. It's standing firm and not being moved. You know, the world wants to move us. The world and the culture, it wants to move us. It wants to rock your world. It wants to do to you what that piece of furniture out there in the foyer did to me yesterday on my, my head right here. <laughs> I was here yesterday at the church, and we were putting some furniture together, and I wasn't paying attention. Me and Irene were putting that um, table together for the um, announcements. And next thing you know, a piece of wood came down and said, bam. Knocked me upside the head. I'm bleeding all over the place. So if you're wondering what happened to Pastor David's head, it wasn't Irene. <laughs> it wasn't Irene. Good story. Yeah, yeah, good story. Um, it wasn't Irene. It was uh, that piece of furniture out there. Um, but that's what will happen to you. That's what will happen to you when you're not standing firm in the faith, when you're, when you're not encouraged, is, is the, the world wants to take you off course. He wants to take you off course. And that's not what we want. we want. We want to stand firm in our faith, stand firm in our walk, stay, stay the course. So this morning we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're finishing up the book of Philippians this morning. And we, we, we've come to, um, to Paul's closing words to the church at Philippi. You know, what's the purpose of the final chapter in a book? It's a summary. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of the main points. It's what the, it's what the author wants you to take home. And the, the point of uh, Philippians chapter 4 that Paul intends for the church at Philippi and that God intends for us today is everything that you've learned in this book, everything that you've learned in the Bible, stand firm. Stand firm. So let's pray and we'll get into Philippians chapter 4 this morning. It's going to be great. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word again. Lord, as we, as we look at it now, teach us. Let us, let us say like Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Lord, let us submit to it, learn from it, and grow in it. And teach us how to stand firm this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 So we're looking at standing firm this morning from Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, here it is, guys. Here's where I got my, the message. Uh, here's where I got the uh, title of my message. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. What I want to present to you this morning as I was studying uh, Philippians chapter 4 this week is eight principles, eight points that the Apostle Paul is going to make in Philippians chapter 4 that tells us Christians 
how to stand firm. It's, it's not just enough to study the Bible, okay? Christianity is more than studying the Bible. Christianity is taking the truths from the Bible and, and applying them to our lives. I call it standing firm. Standing firm is doing what the Bible says. James reminds us in James 1.22, he says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So he's telling us to stand firm. But I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul's tone is in verse 1. Look at verse 1. He says it twice. He says, Therefore, my beloved... My beloved. That's a term of endearment. In the, in, in the NASB, he ends it with the same words. He says, he says, my beloved, twice. He says in verse 1, he says, I long to see you. You're my joy and my crown. So Paul is saying this to the church at Philippi in a spirit of love. Because he loves them so much. He cares for them so much. He's like, guys, I love you so much. Please get this. Please understand about what, about what I'm fixing to talk about. And it's the principles for standing firm. Let's look at verse 2. He's going to dive into the first one. Uh, he says, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companions, I ask you also to help those women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The first principle I want to bring to you this morning from verses 2 and 3 is this. We stand firm when we live in harmony with one another. We stand firm when we live in harmony. That means we get along. That means we get along. It's the opposite of quarreling and fighting. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, I urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. The church, my friends, uh, brothers and sisters, the church is a place where we support each other, where we hold each other accountable. It's a place where we, we care for one another. You know, we're here to help one another and build one another up. But what we have at the Church of Philippi is we have a rift forming between two ladies. Look at verse 2. We have a rift forming between Judea and Syntyche. Now, we don't know what the issue was between these two ladies. The, the, the scripture does not tell us, so it, it, we, don't know, we don't know what it was. But that's not important of what the rift was. What's important is what Paul told them to do. Look at it in verse 2. He says, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. You know, we're always going to have conflicts. We're always going to have disagreements. We're always, there's always going to be times when people don't see eye to eye. But the one thing that we have to do is we have to look beyond our disagreement, and we have to live in harmony in the Lord. In other words, it's our relationship with Christ that's going to bind us and keep us together and, and keep us in harmony. Yeah, we don't agree on everything, and we have differences of opinions, and we see things in different ways, and that's okay. That's good. You know, everybody is not supposed to replicate David Ford. You're supposed to be your own person. But I, I respect your view, you respect my view, and we get along and we have harmony in the Lord, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. But notice what I love about these verses is, is, is Paul saying he wants them to live in harmony, but he's going um, to praise them. He's going to praise these ladies. In verse 3, he, 
actually, when it says indeed true companion, true companion is a third person that's involved. We don't know who this person is, but Paul is, 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 is encouraging this person called true companion to, hey, step in and help these two ladies work this out. But then he goes on to talk about these two ladies in verse 3. And look at what he says about them. These are faithful and committed Christians. These ladies are serving the body of Christ. A lot like Phoebe was in Romans 16.1, where Paul commends Phoebe, a deacon in the church. Many people believe that Paul gave Phoebe the, the, the epistle, the, Roman of, the letter to the Romans, and she delivered it to the church. And he says here, like, like he does, like he praises Phoebe in Romans 16, he also praises these, these women here. He says, um, they shared in my struggle. In other words, they were right there with Paul. They, they were there with him. It says, in the cause of the gospel. In other words, they were fully committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, he calls them together with Clement also. We don't know, we don't know much about Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers these ladies were hand in hand with, the, with, with Paul in, in the furtherance of the gospel and building ministry. And then I love this. He says, whose names are in the book of life. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a book in heaven. It's called the book of life. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in the book of life. How cool is that? I mean, God's omniscient. He knows all things. And he knows every single person's decision to serve him or to reject him. But he chooses to write our name in the book of life. That is awesome. The Lamb's book of life. We'll get there. We'll study it in the future. When we get later on into the New Testament, we'll see the Lamb's book of life. Cool study there. But, uh, but anyway, going back to the point of verses 2 and 3 is, uh, is we stand firm, you stand firm, I stand firm when we live in harmony, when we live in unity. Psalms 133.1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It makes, it, it makes church great. It, it, it makes ministry great. It makes ministry effective when we come together as a team. Then he says in um, verse 4, verse 4 we'll see our, our, our second principle for standing firm. He says in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He uses this phrase 16 times in, in the letter to the Philippians. Joy is a part of the Christian life. And we stand firm when we walk in joy. You know, you need to walk in joy. Joy is part of the Christian life. It's part of the package deal. I'm not talking about um, human emotions I'm not talking about our own mental psych or our own heart, but I'm talking about this divine thing called the joy of the Lord. And every believer should enjoy it. Because of what Christ has done, because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, he produces an inner joy, not based on our outer circumstance or, or this world, but he produces this inner joy that's on the inside of us. It says, wow, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm, I'm joyful. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. But I'm excited about what God is doing in my life. Joy is the music of the soul. Joy is the music of the soul. When times are tough, when you get a bad report of the, from the doctor and things on the outside seem gloom, on the inside, our hearts should sing through the pain, through the sorrow, through the difficult time. Our hearts can sing 
because we're in a right relationship with God and his Holy Spirit has given us joy. What robs us of joy? Compromise. It does, man. The, the quickest way to lose your joy as a Christian is when you compromise, when you got one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. And the, on the inside, your soul, you're torn. You're not happy. It's because you're, 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 you're compromising. Or you're, you're, or you're not doing what God has told you to do. And there's this, you lose your joy. You're like, ah, oh, you're frustrated. You ever been there? I have. Many times in life where I knew what God had told me to do, and in my flesh I said no. And I thought I was making the right decision. I wasn't making the right decision. And I suffered later because I had no joy. I had anguish of soul. So the, the, the second principle there, according to this, in these closing words of Paul, is, is, is that you walk in joy, that you walk in joy. You can have joy in the midst of the storm. Let's look at the third one, verse 5. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Oh, what a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. The third principle this morning is this. We stand firm when we walk in grace. When we walk in grace. And it's based on this word here, gentle. The NASB uh, says, let your gentle spirit. There's many translations out there. This word, this Greek word that's used here, Epicaeus, it has a very wide and rich and deep meaning. It could mean um, a reasonable spirit, a generous spirit, a friendly spirit, a charitable spirit, but it, ultimately it means a, a spirit that's full of grace, a graceful. It's the opposite uh, of being prideful and the opposite of being arrogant. You know, that's the kind of people, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person that I hope that you want to be. That's the kind of person that we want to be around as we want to be around grace-filled people that are reasonable, generous, friendly, charitable, and that are full of grace, according to the meaning of the word gentle. You know, a gentle spirit, a kind person, you know, it's, 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 it's what we want to be. It's what the Lord wants us to be. And let's not forget what he tacks on there at the end of verse 5. He says, the Lord, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Two interpretations of the end of this verse. The first one is, is he's talking about eschatological, talking about the return of Christ. But there's another interpretation which I kind of lean towards, and that is the Lord is near. In other words, the Lord is near us. He's in us. He dwells in our hearts. The Lord is near. He is in you. And because Christ is in you, he wants you to exude grace. He wants you to exude his grace and his mercy to people in the world. That's what he's saying there. Let your gentle spirit, in other words, let your grace-filled heart be known to all men. In other words, let it show, let it come out. Why? Because the Lord is near. Look at verse 6. He says, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. As I was looking at this verse, the, the phrase that came to my mind is this. This is the fortress of our soul. This is the fortress of our soul. Is that place where you meet with God. That place where you come and you meet with him by studying his word and spending time in prayer. And that brings me to my fourth point that I see in, in Philippians chapter 4 and is this. We stand firm 
when we spend quality time in prayer. When we spend quality time in prayer, don't wait for the preacher to pray. Don't wait for the prayer meeting at the church. You spend time at prayer in your home, in your prayer closet. You spend time. God desires for you, gentlemen and ladies, to find your prayer closet, to find that place where you meet with the Lord. It could be at your coffee table with your Bible and your cup of coffee in the morning. It could be a prayer closet. It could be a place in your room. But God desires for you to find a place to, to, uh, to meet with him and to spend time with him. And he says there, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. Prayer simply means having communion with the Lord, spending time with him. You know, prayer is a powerful thing. When we pray, God works. God moves. And then he says there, he says, but in everything, prayer, spend time with the Lord. And he says, and supplication, the word supplication means request, petitions, and needs. God knows you have needs. God knows what you're going through. He knows them better than you do. But in that prayer time, in that devotion time, you need to submit those needs to the Lord in prayer. And and step out in faith and say, Lord, this 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 is where I'm struggling. This is where I need help. And, and let him know what your needs are. And then he, 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 um, he ends it there in verse 6. He says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, you can't tell God enough thank you. You can't, you can't tell God enough thank you. You know, having a thankful spirit towards the Lord, having a thankful heart. That is God's will. That is God's will that, that, that we live thankful lives for everything he's done. And if you have any doubt or any, any like, I don't know what to be thankful for, be thankful for his salvation. Be thankful for his provision. Be thankful for your family. Be thankful for your children. Be thankful for your health. Be thankful for everything that he's given you in life. That's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 4. That's what he's bringing to a close. He's he's wrapping everything up. He's he's giving them the scriptures. He's giving them the word. And now he's putting a bow tie on top of it. And he's saying, now do these things. Do these things. God desires, looking at verse 6, God desires intimacy and he desires quality time from each and every one of us. Our students, our young people, he, he desires intimate time with him. You know, I tell the students on Wednesday nights, I say, I don't care when you do it. I don't care if it's in the morning, afternoon, or evening. Put your Bible by your bedside. Put it wherever that place is that you like to hang out. And carve time out and spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer. You read five verses or you read two chapters. That's up to you. But just spend some quality time with the Lord. And look at the promise. Verse 7. Verse 7 is in response to verse 6. He says, in the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Well, well, here it is, guys. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I said in the very beginning when I was looking at verse 6, I said, this is the fortress of the soul. This, This is what guards you, believer. This is what protects you in the storm. When you're away from the body, and, and things are things are collapsing and things aren't going the way you want them to. This is your fortress. Is when you bow your head in prayer and you say, Lord, I need you. I need you, God. He says, when you do these things, when you spend time in prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, according to verse 7, it says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension 
In other words, there's nothing greater. It says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because it's in the battle that we find our struggle. It's in the battle that we wrestle with things in our mind. And it's at that point where you need prayer. Amen? Amen. Verse 8. Keep the, keep the thought in your mind where at the end of verse 7 where he says, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, guard your heart, guard your mind. Now let's read verse 8 with that thought. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good repute, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. You know, growing up in a homeschool family, if there's one Bible verse that got drilled into Emily and Daniel by Irene, it was this verse right here. Every day I'd be off work, I'd be in my study, and I'd hear Irene and their homeschooling the kids, and every single morning she'd be drilling into them, Philippians 4.8. I can't say that enough. Each and every believer, each and every one of us should memorize this verse. Memorizing this verse and having this verse in our heart, having this verse in our arsenal of faith will protect you. It will save you from heartache. It will save you from scars. It will save you from scars. Why? Because we stand firm. This is number five. We stand firm when we guard our hearts and minds. Don't be weak. Don't be weak. Buckle up your chin strap. That means read your Bible, pray, and do the right thing. If, if you don't, Satan in your flesh will have a heyday, will have a heyday with your life. When a believer falls, hear me out. When, when a believer falls, the act or the sin of falling, it did not start with the act. What I mean by that is it started long before in the mind. You know, things are birthed first in our mind. They come into our mind, and then they go to our heart, and then from the heart, they work their way outwards. How does it get into our mind? Through these ears, uh, through these ears and these eyes. It comes, it comes in through there. So Paul is saying here in verse 8, he's saying, guard your eyes and guard your ears. Be careful what comes in, because what comes in will come out. You know, if we feel our minds through our eyes with pornography, it will work its way from our eyes to our mind to our heart to our life. If we fill our minds with sin in any form or whatever your weakness is or whatever your struggle is, if you fill your heart and mind with those things, it will come into your mind, it will come into your heart, and it will manifest its way out. And that's why Paul is saying here, finally, brothers, whatever's true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's right, pure, lovely, good report, excellent. If it's worthy of praise, dwell on these things. In other words, fix your mind on these things. Fix your heart on these things. Because there's a lot around us that will corrupt us. It will corrupt us, and then it will, that, that corruption will work its way into your life, and it will wreck you. It will wreck you. That's what Satan and, and sin does. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it'll do. That's what it'll do. Slay that giant. 
Slay that dragon, I like to say. Slay that dragon. Whatever that is, declare an all-out war on whatever that thing you struggle with is. Whatever that says, declare an all-out war and kill it because it wants to kill you. And it starts in the mind. And it starts in the heart, and it works its way out. And that's why Paul is, is closing um, Philippians, um, the book of Philippians here in verse 8 of chapter 4 with, hey, guys, guard your hearts and minds. We haven't arrived yet. We're not in heaven. Yes, we have the mind of Christ, <clears throat> and we think like him, and we, we love him, and we serve him. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're in a fight. Maurice came up to me yesterday before church, and we was here, and he was like, man, how can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? And I was so thankful for my brother because we see a lot of things happening with a lot of leaders across the landscape of Christianity. You know, how can, how can we pray for you? And, and I was just so thankful and so overwhelmed that he brought that up. But I was like, man, we just got to stay the course. We just got to stay the course. As a pastor, I've just got to stay focused on, on feeding the flock and, and teaching the word. And, and, you know, and the leaders, our focus has got to be on Jesus Christ in him alone. And then you guys, as the body of Christ, come in and we minister to you guys. But we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. And we, even as leaders, have, we, we, have to, we have to follow the same rules that you do. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds to protect us from the assault of the enemy. I know I, I've been in the battle before. And I know if I'm in the battle, you guys are in the battle. The battle is real. So, so, so we stand firm when we guard our heart and mind, number five. Verse nine, he says here, uh, the things you have learned and received and heard, seen in me, practice these things. This is huge. And the God of peace will be with you. The thing I want to point out to you in verse nine is he says, practice these things. Paul is saying, these things that you've heard me talk about, and, the, and that you've seen in my life, he says, practice these things. So number six is this. We stand firm when we obey God. My friend, you and I, we will not see the Lord without holiness. Okay? Without holiness, you and I will not see the Lord, according to Hebrews chapter 12. We looked at this verse last week, 2 Timothy 2.19. Listen very clearly. Ammunition from the New Testament when it talks about our obedience and our obeying God. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And here it is. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord Jesus must turn away from wickedness. Obedience is not an option in the Christian life. Jesus said, what did he say? If you love me, you will obey me. That's the theme of the entire New Testament, of every single book, is this, is this love and this obedience to God. It's more than just believing, but it's surrendering. It's surrendering our lives and saying, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's why the Bible, the Bible uh, puts the Christian life in three categories, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is when a person comes to Christ. They believe, they put their trust in Jesus Christ, and they are saved. They are justified. But then you begin the process called sanctification. And that's what the whole entire New Testament is about. It's about growing in Christ and letting go of the past and moving forward 
and we have to do that. To stand firm, Paul says in verse 9, he says, practice these things. Stand firm. And we stand firm when we obey the Lord. When we obey the Lord. So that's number, that was number six. We got eight. We got two more. But number six is we obey God. We obey God. We, 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 we do what he says. And then he continues in verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. In whatever circumstance I am, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And here's one of our favorite verses in all the Bible. We see this at football games. We, there, there was, um, I'm taking a stab, complete stab here. Evander Holyfield, I think, back, back in the day, I think he had this on his socks when he, whenever he went into um, a boxing match. Who was it, Maurice? Oh, was it? No, I don't think it was Tyson. Anyway, it was one of the boxers. I remember one of the boxers had this verse. Ha, huh? Oh, okay, okay, okay. But he had this verse on his, on, his, on his pants. It says, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I would not take this verse and use it to claim that I'm going to win a game, okay? I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim it to say, okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to win this game, whether it be football, sporting event. But what I will say this is this, God will be with you and he will give you the strength and no matter what you face in life no matter what curveball comes your way you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me he says back in verse 12 context is context defines the definition of a verse you go back and look at verse 12 Paul says I know how to get along with humble means when I don't have nothing I know how to live in prosperity when I have everything and then he says, I've gone hungry, I've had abundance, I've suffered need. And he says here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Number seven is this, we stand firm when Christ is everything. When Christ is everything. When you say in your faith, in your heart, well, no matter what this world throws at me, Christ will see me through. Christ will, will see me through. Whatever he throws at me, what, whatever happens in life. Christ will give me the strength to endure to the end. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, no matter what happens, in my deepest, darkest hour, in my deepest pain, I'm going to say, Lord, I trust in you. Lord, let you be glorified no matter what happens because you're strengthening my heart and you're moving me forward. Even when, when times are great, praise the Lord, man. I love times of prosperity. I love it when times are great. But there's also when times are tough and times are difficult. No matter what situation I find myself in, I need to say, Christ is my strength. He will see me through. And you can do the same thing. Amen? Let Christ be your strength. Let's, let's finish this up. Verse 14. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel... 
after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my need. The church at Philippi, they, they, they supported Paul. And Paul was very grateful for them, for their, for their financial support for him. And look at what he says in verse 17 concerning giving. He says, but that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. This leads me to my final point this morning from Philippians chapter 4 is this, is we stand firm when we give financially to our church, to, to ministries, when we support them. It took money back then. It took finances back then. It takes finances today. Um, and also, I want to say this. There's blessing. There's blessing in giving. Some people will say, well, you know what, I just want to give because I just want to obey God. I don't expect nothing in return. Some people will say that. That sounds very pious and holy, but it's not biblical. It's not biblical. That's the one thing the scripture talks about in multiple places where the, if we give, God will take care of us. God will bless us. Let's take a look at him. Let's first look at the Old Testament in Malachi. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And here it is. Here it is. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough to store it. That was a promise given in Malachi 3.10 that you give I am going to bless you. There's going to be return. Now let's go to the Gospels. Luke 6, 38, Jesus saying the same thing. Then we're going to go to the New Testament. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, there's blessing in giving. There's blessing in giving. If you're still not convinced, let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I'm a biblical preacher. I'm an expositor. And I want to present to you what the scripture clearly teaches on the subject of giving. And it clearly teaches that there is giving, I mean, there is blessing for our giving. And then we turn to Philippians 4.17, where Paul is kind of reemphasizing, saying the same thing. He says, not that I seek the gift itself. In other words, it's not important that I'm getting um, this gift from you, church at Philippi, but I seek for the profit which increases to whose account? To their account. So there's blessing in giving. So don't let anybody say there isn't. There, there's, there's always um, blessing in supporting ministries. I remember um, I got saved in 1992. And I don't remember every single church Sunday, but I remember two church Sundays very clearly. 1992, Bethel Temple in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, after I got saved, I remember I went and bought a Bible. And I remember showing up that first Sunday with my Bible in my hand. Dude, dude, that was a special moment for me. You know, for the previous 21 years, I was drugged to church with no Bible in my hand, and I didn't want to be there, and I had no desire for it. But in 1992, I clearly remember that Sunday of, I got my Bible. I am ready for church. 
And I remember the pastor, and I remember opening up my Bible and smelling the pages and seeing the little gold along the edges and looking at all my little footnotes and study notes. It was the NIV Full Life Study Bible, which I still have sitting on my shelf today. But I remember, I loved, I remember that Sunday very clearly. The other Sunday I very, I very clearly remember um, in 1992 was the very first Sunday that I gave an offering to the church. And it was, it was a very holy moment. It was like, all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I'm a part of this. To see all the ministries that were taking place in the church, to see um, lives being changed and church gathering, it, it was a very special moment giving because um, all of a sudden, I was like, man, I am a part of this, not only spiritually, but financially. And it was a huge, it was a huge um, blessing. So there's all, just remember this, there's, there's blessing in giving. Verse 18, let's wrap this up here. He says, but I received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Talking about his, them taking care of Paul. Um, I love verse 19. This is, another, this is another verse you need to have on your refrigerator, okay? Or you need to have by your bedside or whatever. Verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One of the famous slogans of Chuck Smith, and, it, and you're going to see it up on, up on the wall probably uh, next Sunday or the Sunday after when we get our banners put up. And that slogan is this, where God guides, God provides. And, that's, and this is where... This is where Pastor Chuck got it from. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say he'll supply all your wants. <laughs> he doesn't say he'll supply all your wants. But he will supply all your needs. You as his child, he will take care of. He will take care of. He will provide for you. No matter what situation you're in, no matter where you're at in life, our God is an omnipotent, almighty all-knowing God. He knows you better than you know yourself. And that's awesome because I don't know a whole lot. But God does. And God will take care of us. God will take care of you. You know, sometimes people, Christians, something really bad will happen. And they'll come to me, David, how is this God taking care of me? I'll be like, brother, just stand firm. God is going to use this situation to further his kingdom, to stand firm, to stay the course. It doesn't always look that way, but you've got to have faith, and he will see you through, and he will see you to the end. And he, he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, I, 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 I like um, the, seeing the deposits go into my account from the military and all my stuff from them taking care of me. That's not where my trust is. My trust and my, and my faith is not in my finances. It's not in the things I have stored up. But it, my confidence and my faith and my trust is in the Lord, that he will provide for everything. And we have to have faith. Even when we don't see the sustenance, when we don't see the finances, or we don't see, okay, God, this is big. This is something big is coming up, and it's going to cost X amount of dollars, and you don't have enough. You just got to have faith. You just got to have faith and you got to trust. 
And you just got to say, you know what? If, if it is truly a need and not a want, God is going to provide. God will provide. Amen? His closing words. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially of those of Caesar's household. You know, I could preach on this, but I just want to mention this briefly on verse 22. Paul was incarcerated in Rome. What, what, what was meant to stop the gospel? Man, you know, he, he, remember he was back in Caesarea. He got arrested and he got transferred to Rome. That, that whole process was meant to bring this gospel to an end. It was meant to, um, to stop it, to shut it up. But what they, what they meant, what the world meant to stop the gospel, God uses it to advance the kingdom. All the saints greet you, especially of those of Caesar's household. Caesar was the top dog in the land. And there were servants under Caesar there at Rome who, while Paul in his imprisonment, was sharing the gospel with. He was building the kingdom. He was building the kingdom where he was in his chains. He was advancing the kingdom. So we see the gospel even spreading. So much so that in 300 AD, Constantine got won over to Christ and Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it started right here. Verse 22. And all the saints greet you, especially of those of Caesar's household, those that were under his care. Paul is sharing the gospel and building the kingdom, which eventually leads to Christianity becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire. Verse 23, the grace, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the study in the book of Philippians. God, you do. You supply all of our needs. You, you take care of us, Lord, because you're a faithful God. Lord, we know that we can do all things through you, Lord, because you strengthen us. You see us. You take care of us when we're in prosperity. You take care of us when we're in tribulation because you're a faithful God. We're not exempt from the trials and tribulations, but, Lord, you see us through it. You take us through it. So, Lord, thank you for this study in the book of Philippians. Lord, and I pray, Father, as, as we go home today, Father, the thing that resonates in our hearts, Lord, is we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm in our faith, stand firm in our relationship with you, and do what your word says. So, Father, thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Let it transform us and change us. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.